Hello, you're listening to the GamesIndustry.biz podcast. I'm James Batchelor. I am joined by the entire team. They are. Introduce yourselves by name, guys. Matthew Hendrahan. Brendan Sinclair. Chris Drake. Rebecca Valentine. Charlotte Nangle. And uh, Hayden Taylor. And with the entire crew assembled, and it being December, this can only mean it is our Game of the Year show. Now, last year... We all agreed that Zelda was the best game. This year we've been a lot more divided. There's been a, a, a far broader range of games that we, we all love and want to talk about. So the only way to do that is by long, long discussions. Not long discussions. You are all limited to about 10 minutes max because we've got a big team and people have <laughs> things to do when they're listening to this podcast. So we're going to go through some of our favourite games of the year. Ideally your favourite, but I know already know that some of you have been a bit more indecisive and have uh, narrowed it down to two. We are going to start with Editor-in-Chief Matt Handrahan. What is your favourite game of 2018? God of War. God of War. Why God of War? Well, it's the only reasonable choice. Um, if anyone's <laughs> played any games this year, they would choose God of War. No, if they played it, they'd choose God of War. Um, well, no, actually, I think it's... Uh, it made me think back to when I was reviewing games. Like, the last time I was reviewing games, as part of my job, was 2010. And it was, like, right at the time when... Uh, lots of franchises started to be annualised, so you'd be getting an Assassin's Creed every year, you'd be getting a Call of Duty, and I think it was kind of like the first time the industry had been annualising so many really big franchises. Um, and all these franchises would just get 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10, year in, year out, even though they were more or less just an iteration on the previous year's game. And all of that just started to feel completely meaningless. Like what, what it felt like to me is like you, games are reviewed on the basis of like technical proficiency and that's it. Like the graphics are good, everything works, so it's a 9 out of 10. But like the actual like creative worth of any of these things was not necessarily part of that, of that picture. Um, God of War is like a very rare, for me, rare kind of game. Sort of Uncharted 2, Mass Effect 2, I think it's like up there because... I mean, it, technically, it's absolutely astounding. Like, it's pushing the hardware in all of the ways that you'd want a game this late in the generation for pushing the hardware. But, but actually, like, the best thing about it is, is the story. It's the characters. It's the treatment of Norse mythology, which, you know, you've heard of every single character in it before, but you pr- you, you've never seen any of them treated in exactly this way. It's full of, like, wonderful touches. There's um, Belt, the entire game, that tells sort of stories of the world and, and it's great for like building out the world and the law but also just you know broad scots accent foul mouths you know and, and it's just it's full of stuff like that like there's just these little things that it could that in any other game it would be so much more banal and ordinary but in this game just every single thing seems to be considered so well spun in a unique direction and and yeah, and so it's got all of this technical side of thing, which is all which is all great. Just about you know every game, AAA game has is generally speaking technically sophisticated, but this one just uses that as a bedrock to spin out in so many interesting creative directions in terms of the way it the way it develops its world, the, the direction it pushes Kratos in because you know we don't really ever see the nature of an iconic character kind of warped and challenged in that way, like the way it takes this uh, perception of Kratos as a, a, as an overly violent character, a character that's kind of more emblematic of, uh, of maybe 10 years ago in the games industry, what action games were back then, and actually kind of incorporates that into the story and makes the story about living with a legacy of violence, what you pass on to your child. Then you've got Atreus, which is, again, technical challenge, executed absolutely perfectly, but it works for the story, it builds out 
the way you think about Kratos as a character. It sets up a new character for the series going forward. I mean, there's just, I, I just don't think there's anything about the game that they didn't completely nail. It's, it's almost perfect. God of War is also my game of the year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, everything that Matt said is absolutely spot on and, you know, is a big reason why it's my game of the year. But for me, it was just kind of how heartbreaking it is from start to finish. Mm. It's heartbreaking in the first instance because you have like this context of Kratos as a character and you know what he's gone through to get to where you pick up when this game starts. And it's just um, having that kind of like almost like sense of dramatic irony when he's trying to just be this like, you know, just I have a beard now, you know, like <laughs> this is my son. We're living in the woods, you know. We're going to go chop down some trees and just have like a really humble, quiet life. But I mean, obviously, you know that for this character, it's just absolutely not. It's just a case of when yeah. it's going to happen. So you just have this building sense of just dread and knowing that this character is just he's being like literally cursed. Right. Mm. He, he looks so sad. Like throughout the whole yeah. game, like Chris's face. Very rarely do you see the anger on it that you would see before. Like, but mm -hmm. they, 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 they convey like... 50 different kinds of sadness on Kratos' face as well. He's like a sad, bearded man. And it's just, but it, you know, it is, it is, it is kind of, it does have an incredible sense of, of loss and, and weight to that as well. Um, and even, but even like the, I can't remember, again, I'm being really bad in characters' names, but the guy that shows up at the beginning covered in tattoos, you know that guy like... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But he's called The Stranger when yeah, you yeah, first meet him. Yeah, he's called The Stranger when you, when you first meet him. Yeah. And he seems to be a fairly typical God of War kind of villain, like, you know, full of rage and wrath and all of this. But even he, like, his backstory oh. and like, the way that ends up, he's genuinely moving and emotional and you just would never have thought you'd play a God of War game and feel anything like that, right? No, it's just that sense of just... You know, like feeling like really betrayed by mm. actions of characters because you are so invested in this story. And there's this just like one level where there is just like no sound, mm. no action, no nothing. You are just, I don't want to spoil it, but it's just you with Kratos in this situation. And, you know, there is no sound, nothing. It's just you walking through this level they limit how fast you can walk like you can't run through it you are just forced to kind of go through this like almost silent contemplation for and it's it lasts quite a long time and i remember hearing the devs say that like it was like a point of contention like how long but you know the payoff because you go through it's just absolutely beautiful and that's something that they do as well they just take their time yeah they stuff. do and and i mean i think this is um it's hard to, to not factor in the way these games are made when you kind of know the inside story and all of this stuff. But Corey Barlog's talked like really well about the struggles of making this game, making mm. all of these difficult and ambitious ideas, you know, manifest in the game and all work in harmony together and how unlikely it all seemed that it would ever get to the end. And that kind of for me, that plays a part as well, like because you know that this was people who at any turn probably should have gone for a safer option, probably should have abandoned yeah. Atreus as a character or not had these kind of slower moments in the game or not made it open world or any number of different things. But they kind of stuck to their guns on absolutely everything. And I, I think he said in a talk I saw him give earlier this year that even like a year away or like six months away from, from finishing, the whole game just seemed to be a complete mm. mess. But it was just in in that final six months as they polished everything up and everything started to feel better, it all kind of cohered and 
yeah, ultimately prove to be, you know, I, I think, you know, definitively the game of the year. And it's weird because I've I just thought it would be Red Dead Redemption 2. I thought there wasn't, <laughs> yeah. there was no doubt it would be Red Dead Redemption 2. But actually, like, I haven't bounced off Red Dead 2, but I got sort of maybe two-thirds of the way into that. But it's just so slow and yeah. it feels baggy where God of War, it's not a short game. I played it, must have been for like 30, 40 hours, yeah. but it feels like there's no fat on it. Like, everything is relevant and, and useful. Yeah, I finished Red Dead, like, quite recently. And again, there were, there were times in this game where I was just like, oh, mm. like holy hell like this game is amazing but the thing that pips god of war to the post for me is that in red dead there are times when like i literally want to throw my controller against the wall because the controls are just like inherently yeah and do you know what everything you heard is absolutely correct (laughs) and it's to the point where you know um it's you know it's it's realism it's this it's that but to the point where it is unenjoyable Mm. in parts you know what i mean like it makes it makes it just frustrating to get through whereas in God of War, every single movement, even like when you call back your oh axe, that best. feeling it's of it, it's just perfect. Like Is that kind feel- of a Thor Mjolnir at yeah, the moment? Yeah, like, yes. But it's like if, um, so if, I don't know, I, so when Gears of War first came out and you had like the, the active reload thing where you yeah. kind of like hit the button, it's like that kind of thing where you, you do it like a thousand times during the game, but it never ceases to be satisfying. <laughs> and it's just very... Even, yeah, right down to the smallest details. That's just amazing stuff. And, yeah. I, and they worked for so long on that. I and mean, again, seek out, though, Corey Barlow's talked about yeah. this, I think, on like a podcast that the AIAS puts out about just figuring out that one action of yeah. like calling back the axe, getting the sound effect right. Because it really feels, it's weird, isn't it? It just feels like it's actually so landing in your hand. Even though you're, yeah. <laughs> It is, it, is, stuff. it is the game that I've, I've most regretted not playing this year. Like, I, play I, it. I, I, I genuinely, I, I need to. I need, I need to <laughs> track down a copy. Like, I, I, I can live. I can live without playing Red Dead Redemption Two. But God of War, like you guys have been gushing, and so many other people have been gushing about it all year. I think one of the things that's held me off is my experience of God of War is limited, oh, bordering on non-existent. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter no. because my own, my own experience of God of War is. I think it's the start of Chains of Olympus, the PSP oh. title, thinking, this is a bit naff. Yeah. Getting really frustrated because my PSP kept on dying before I'd get to a save point, and thinking, screw this, I'm yeah. like, I, I like screw. those PSP games. And actually, weirdly, the PSP games, it's either, because there was two, wasn't there? I don't know, was Chains of Olympus the Chains first of Olympus one? and something. Because one of, one of them, something. but one of them had a sort of precursor moment to this, the, the slow moment in the game that, that Charlotte was referring to, where... Like in one of those games, it's like Kratos. It was like the first sign that, that, that Kratos was being taken in a new direction. That wasn't Sony Santa Monica. The first team to do that was it. Ready at Dawn did those yeah. games, right? So yeah, that 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 all started there. Thing is, you don't really need to know anything about it because it actually kind of rejects yeah. the previous mythology. I mean, not only it moves to a different mythology, but like the mythology of Kratos. All you need to know about it was. He was an angry guy that didn't really have very much depth to his character. That is all I know of Kratos. Well, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> then you're yeah. fine. But yeah, but but thing is, like, it's not like it's. I didn't really like Red Dead. I really did like mm. Red Dead. But I and on any other year, it probably would be my game of the year. But this one is just so. I mean, it's so good. Yeah. 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 Like you can't take because the thing is, like you know, Red Dead is kind of doing the rounds as like ten out of ten, like mm. across the board. But I don't know. For me, a game where like the controls are as flawed as it is like the story is just i was mm. so, i was in tears by the end of my experience with red dead it was beautiful narrative it was mm-hmm. just stunning 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 character work but you know 
God of War's controls are perfect, mm-hmm. like absolutely perfect. Yeah. There is nothing that you kind of, you know, like even just things like climbing up a wall, you know, if you want to climb up a wall, you're going to climb up a wall. You're not going to kind of have this, oh, I've gone left a little bit, I've gone right a little bit. Now I've got a circle around. It's absolutely perfect. And there are just these, in such a, um, not not dark, well, it's a, it a, it's a dark story, you know. It's like one man's kind of attempted redemption and, you know, the things that come through that and, you know, running away from your past. But there are such moments of, um, like, levity and humour in it mm. as well, just dotted about the world. So, you know, it's uh, you should just play it to that. This is beautiful. Just play it. It's <laughs> well, okay. beautiful. Game of the year. Brendan, I believe you've been enjoying another PlayStation exclusive, uh, but you, you narrowed it down to two. What was the, the PlayStation title that you uh, you most enjoyed this year? Uh, Spider-Man. Uh, I, I'm sorry. Insomniac's Marvel's Spider-Man. Uh, for, Absolutely. Got to get that branding right. Yeah, for, for PS4. was just... It was um, amazing, spectacular, uh, web of... I don't know. It's, I don't know what other Spider-Man comics are out there right now, but uh, yeah, it's it was kind of a perfect AAA game for me. Uh, in that, while it had a lot of the the same kind of flaws and shortcomings as a lot of AAA games, everything that it did, it did really well, in my opinion. What, in your view, is a perfect AAA game? Then I guess you're kind of about to explain, but. For me right now, AAA is it's so unappealing, so I'm very interested to know what a perfect AAA game looks like. No, I, I get why AAA wouldn't wouldn't be super appealing these days, but uh, the the production values obviously is like kind of the first thing you think of with, with AAA. It looks really pretty. Um, the the open world New York City is kind of stunningly realistic. Um, and and it's laid out in in such a way that you know I could I could kind of walk around the neighborhoods that that I did the last time I visited New York City, turn a corner and like oh okay there that that's basically this uh, parallel for for you know a landmark is right there, or the the Guggenheim Museum is is right there things like that, and like that's that's cool. Like that is a a fun thing to do in games for me is just like I've I've been to this place in real life and now I get to kind of you know explore this virtual recreation of it and that that's like kind of cheap easy thrill but Spider Man I think does it really well and it, and it really gets kind of what New York feels like when you're when you're just walking around that city early on in the game anyways. Um, I've been so intrigued by this one. This this is easily my most anticipated game of the year, and it's killing me that I still haven't picked it up. And I remember getting worried that every time they showed it at E3, they obviously showed off like a story mission or a section or a quick time event or whatever, and it didn't look quite like the Spider-Man games of the past, the ones that we all wanted it to be. 
And then I played it very briefly at E3, and it was just the open world demo. I was like, yeah, this this is exactly what I want from a Spider-Man game. Um, I, how's the balance for you then between the the open world sections and all those kind of heavily crafted linear, you know, spectacular set piece missions? Yeah, they they do a good job with um, all of that open world cruft that you see in in uh, AAA games these days. Like none of it really was offensive to me, which is sounds like a low bar, but with the amount of extra stuff that they shoehorn into these games, uh, I thought Insomniac was um, did a really smart job of of making everything uh, appealing to do and the things that they couldn't make appealing to do like the uh, the puzzles they had accessibility options that let you just skip those if you wanted which is absolutely fantastic for me and something that i want to see like so many developers copy in the future because just that stuff's not fun to me at all and being able to just kind of push a button and skip their tedious tile switching puzzle and and get the the same upgrades that I would have otherwise was was really cool. And then the the other kind of side missions, whether it's you know there's a there's a crime happening and you just kind of interrupt it and beat everyone up and web them up for the cops, or you have to find literally dozens of old backpacks that Peter Parker had webbed up throughout the city and then forgot about for years, full of stuff in them. <laughs> Like, like the game knows it's ridiculous and it, it acknowledges that with the dialogue here and there, but you know, that's, it was, it was fun. There was a nice little radar system kind of thing. If you want to go back to like crackdown with the orbs humming, uh, what, 10 years ago now or something like it, it kind of borrowed the smartest parts of, uh, triple a games, the, the Assassin's Creed tower synchronization that everyone does. Um, but it, it just had a, a really um, effective execution of all of them. And, and the combat is, it was good. It was Spider-Man good. You get a wide array of powers that are interesting and fun to use and combine with each other and a challenging assortment of enemies that, that make you kind of not just rely on the same approach every time. I have to ask... How were the puddles? Did the puddles live up to your expectations? Uh, I don't have a PS4 Pro, so I I really can't talk about the puddles. It was there was some dampness in what I played, but I don't think it was like fully moist <laughs> the way someone that spent five hundred bucks on a piece of hardware expects. Excellent. I do have an Xbox One X, and let me tell you, those games are moist. <laughs> That needs to be the new review rating for games is is moistness. Um, you you narrowed your choice for game of the year down to two. Spider Man was one. What was the other that you wanted to talk about? The other, well, I want to just name check uh, Night in the Woods right now because that came out on Switch in February, and that was the first time that I played it. And that game's yep, fantastic. That's one. That counts. Um, the 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 other one that came out this year, though, that I was thinking about is kind of the opposite side of that AAA coin, and that's Wander Song, uh, which I also played on Switch, but it came out on PC this year also. And that game is, uh, it's the opposite of AAA because it kind of starts with a premise and a point it wants to make, and then it builds the game around that. 
and everything in the game is sort of you know driving home that point and it's it's a sort of your 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 standard oh my gosh the world is ending kind of uh kind of story but instead of being the hero of prophecy uh you play a bard and you don't beat anyone up really you just you sing and uh through the power of nonviolent confrontation and singing, uh, you do what you can to save the world. And it's it's nice to see a game that has a point of view that tries to get across. And and people will constantly talk about whether they're creators or game players or, or whatever. They always say, oh, I don't want to hit people over the head with a message. They'll feel like they're being preached to, or I don't want a game that hits me over the head or preaches to me, things like that. Um, but really at this point, like there is a novelty to being preached to. There is a novelty to having someone say, yes, I have, I have something that I actually want to say. And here's how I'm going to say it. And I found that fascinating. I don't fully agree with with the game's uh, level of of pacifism, I guess. But I really appreciate that it went there, that it had a point of view and a message to convey. Because most of the games that that I play uh, simply don't. Even without a message, like I'm starting to find myself increasingly intrigued about games that are not about kill all of the things, you know. Um, so this this was one that I, I was kind of tempted to to pick up. I mean, what is it that you, you'd like to see other developers kind of take learn from this one? Because it, it came out. I understand it kind of came out. It was it reviewed well. I don't know how well it's performed. Yeah, I, I think it's. Um... I don't think it's performed spectacularly well, um, and it's it's reviewed decently. But I I think it's the the sort of thing that I hope has kind of a a healthy tail to it. Um, the things that I, I mean, obviously the 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 message is what I would most want developers to look at and just say, oh, we we can make a game that says something um, that is true to our personal beliefs and philosophies, and and put that out there, and you know do well not be you know docked points for it in reviews things like that but um it also it had um the the combat quote unquote you know the the, the gameplay the stuff that you do in the game is you're, you're singing and it's a uh it's an analog stick mechanic where there's eight sections around you know your your character and you're just pointing to one of those sections to to sing a note and there are some some puzzles where you have to sing the exact notes at the exact time, and the game plays around with this this uh, throughout the throughout the game. Yeah, you, you really like you, you look for a synonym, and then it just you can't quite get it there, and you have to just say <laughs> the game, the game. Um, and it it cleverly plays around with it throughout the game, and there's you, you you can sing at any point, almost any point, which is absolutely fantastic. The other mechanic that I love is uh, there's dancing in the game, and as you get as you go through the game, if you're kind of exploring different uh, nooks and crannies, you can unlock new dances, and those dances will be accessible to you at any time, basically. So in the middle of most cutscenes. 
you can be just doing your your goofy run in place kind of dance uh while the person you're talking to is like just unloading their deepest darkest secrets to you and the face changes so you might have like a shocked look on your face as you're doing an electric slide or whatever uh but like it's 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 just it's fun it's it's play it's like you know here's the situation and i'm gonna mess with it and that's fun and there's no point to it in the game there's no achievement to unlock or anything like that it's just you're playing with the game and that was again really nice and and refreshing and not so much the kind of thing that I see on the AAA side of the spectrum. That sounds excellent. I'm definitely going to have to check that one out. Hayden, what have you been playing? Oh, I've barely played anything good this year. It's all been terrible. Um, no, it's not completely fair. There's, um, I mean, the my sort of the game of the year, as it were, uh, that was actually released this year um, would be Banner Saga Three, um, which is superb. I don't want to do it any. This, I don't want to undersell it or anything, but it is ultimately just more of the same. Um, you know, the, the Banner Saga series was designed as... It was intended to be one game, and they couldn't, they couldn't fit it into a single, a single episode, effectively, so they broke it up into chunks and released it over the course of a few years. So it doesn't really feel like a new game coming out. It just feels like the final chapter in a game that I've been playing for the past two or three years. Um, for those of you who don't know, it's it's basically a it's basically a visual novel with XCOM style combat, kind of breaking up the chapters, um, and it's 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 very well written. It's a tremendously like satisfying story, and they're able to. It's, it's former Bioware devs as well, a lot of them, and um, they actually they they're quite successful in achieving a satisfying conclusion to a trilogy which is something that i think so many developers have struggled with in the past um there's a little bit of kind of one criticism i have of it is it's it's sold to you as though it's like this branching narrative and it feels like you know you can you can take it off in all these directions but that that is a paper thin veneer when you replay it you kind of realize that everything there are most of the changes are kind of flavor rather than substantial but it's still, it's still a ringing endorsement that I played through a trilogy twice <laughs> in, the, in the space of about a week. You know, I finished chapter three and I was like, I'm going to play the whole thing again. Um, and I did, and I loved it. But I guess I was a little bit disappointed that there wasn't quite that level of depth that I thought was there. But I would say that as long as you think that level, is, that level of depth is there the first time you play it, then for all intents and purposes it is. So I kind of have to sort of tip my hat to uh, to Stoic for really making me believe the illusion. Um, and I think that is in many ways quite sort of clever design um, and shows that it's actually really well put together in a lot of ways. Um, but yeah, I, it's, it's one thing I would say is um, I replayed Night in the Woods this year um, because obviously it came out on Switch and... Uh, I, you know, I would like to enter that as a contender for Game of the Year, despite technically being a 2017 game. Um, it's so good in so many ways. Um, and the, the, thing that's, the thing that's kind of funny about Night in the Woods is the, the other game I wanted to talk about was um, Call of Cthulhu from Cyanide, which is, going back to my opening comments, um, one of the very, not, one of the not very good games I've played this year. And 
the thing that really sort of struck me about Call of Cthulhu as I was playing it is how little it understands its subject material and how little is able to really kind of grasp the cosmic horror aspect in any meaningful way. And I felt like Night in the Woods, despite being a game about an anthropomorphic cat just running around having a lovely time, um, or terrible time, kind of depending on how you play it, um, kind of understood what cosmic horror was on a much more like intrinsic level and was in many ways a much more like terrifying game that really taps into like the existential dread of like being in your 20s and being completely shackled by circumstance. Um, and yeah, I just feel like, you know, the, the developers of that really, they managed to make a sort of stealth cosmic horror game, <laughs> which uh, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't realize that's what you're getting into until you play it and increasingly it unfolds. You're like, oh God, this is uh, crippling existential dread. Whereas, you know, Call of Cthulhu was just stealthing around these incoherent, blocky environments being chased by, like, shonky monsters and engaging in these really terrible investigation mechanics. And I, I don't even know where to begin with all the things that are wrong with that game, but it's really kind of embedded itself in my psyche as just a really, really profoundly disappointing experience. Um, it, it showed quite a lot of promise. Um, you know, it's based on the tabletop RPG, um, and I'm, I'm into my tabletop games quite a lot. And it just wasn't able to deliver in any sort of significant way. So 2018 has been kind of a year of two halves, really, in that respect. It sounds like you've had a, a rough year. You, out of the team, you were the only one who who was keen to talk about the biggest disappointment of the year. Well, mm. you know, you know, being called a Cthulhu, like, I don't think any of us, we may have played a few Duff Gat. I, I haven't played anything that I feel that passionate about that I need to tell you how bad it was because <laughs> I've, I've been quite lucky. I've played some good games this year. Um, so, I mean, I, I guess I've got to press you like one. Just the first thing that comes to mind, what is it that was so bad about it then? Oh, God, where to even begin? I think um, I think one of the things that's, that's really disappointing about it is the first, like the opening sequence is genuinely quite horrifying because you, you wake up without any context in this underground cave and there's just like dismembered sharks and fish guts everywhere and just sort of, you know, ominous distant chanting and you're like, what the bloody hell is going on here? And it's, it's quite a disturbing scene. And then you wake up and you're just... Uh, you're just like this sort of alcoholic white dude war veteran who's like, oh, I'm so troubled. And it just, it never, it kind of doesn't have the chops to pull off what it's trying to do. And it feels like it doesn't really understand its source material. Like it's kind of going. The more you, the more you talk here, the more it sounds like a quantic <laughs> dream game. You know what? Quantic yeah. dream games at least have kind of the, the novelty factor when it comes to how, quite how bad they are. Um, Whereas this is just like, so one great example of where this game really falls flat is it tries to be an investigation game. So, you know, you're a detective and you're sleuthing around, you know, this, this obviously cursed island. Um, and it's kind of, it's got no subtlety. So you're just like, well, obviously this bit over here is cursed because it's a cursed island and you've just made it abundantly clear that everything is cursed. So there's no sort of like slow build up or unveiling or anything like that. It's just this kind of really clumsy slap you around the face with a tentacle. Ooh, it's a cosmic horror game. And like I say, it doesn't really understand like the subtleties of the genre in any way. And some of the puzzles in it, like I say, so it's supposed to be a detective game. Some of the puzzles in it are just 
complete trial and error. So there's no sense that you you enter you, you know you encounter a scenario and it's you figure it out using your your wit or you know just like logical sort of um, lateral thinking or anything like that. You just kind of walk into a room and repeatedly die until you eventually get it right. And it's just it fails to be it completely strips any like tension or terror or fear out of the moment and replaces it with just kind of this bitter march towards the inevitable conclusion. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just tedious, I think is probably the worst thing you can say about it. Yeah, it took about 15 hours to complete, and after that first opening sequence of maybe 15 minutes, it is just all downhill from there. How's the reception been to it? Um, you know what? It, way too generous. <laughs> yeah. Um, this... We, my my partner reviewed it, so so we had an early had an early copy, and um, yeah, we were sort of playing. It was like this this is terrible. This is going to get ripped apart. And then the reviews came out, and there were, I think IGN gave it like an eight point six, and and gave it really <laughs> some really quite generous praise. And I was reading the review, and I was like, you must have played a different game to me. Like this, you must have had a different game. I don't understand how you've come to this conclusion. Yeah. Um, this reminds me of um, zombie movies, because I like I loved the George Romero zombie movies, and with the uh, kind of abundance of zombie media that's come across since two thousand five, I've realized that what other people loved about those movies and what I loved about them not at all <laughs> the same thing. Uh, so something like The Walking Dead, where it's it seems to just be like, oh, man, wouldn't it be so messed up if we put them in this situation? And then, like, you got to you got to kill your own kid, man. Whoa. Like that. That actually is for a lot of people the the appeal of that whole zombie mm-hmm. premise. And that's not what George Romero's zombies <laughs> movies really were with that. Like the social satire angle was like what I dug mm. about those. And I think maybe with cosmic horror, the, the tentacles might just be people. I, love I think tentacles. you're really on something there because it, it does just basically, you know, it's like there's tentacles and sort of strange lurking abominations, but it lacks any of the subtlety or the nuance and, you know, a big part of cosmic horror is slowly losing your mind at you know the realizations of the infinite cosmos and kind of everything that it holds therein. And the way Cyanide have portrayed that sort of that slowly, your mind slowly unraveling is like, oh, you 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 got knocked out when you woke up, and things are a little bit different now, and oh, you're a bit confused, and all the ultimate result is just a plot that is incoherent and confusing, rather than you feeling like you're you know you're actually your character is losing losing control over their faculties it's just i think it's it's confusing bad writing and bad story structure for losing your mind and <laughs> i think i think it's easy to perhaps like miss the miss the subtleties therein but yeah as a result it's just this clumsy clunky mess that doesn't go anywhere oh my gosh as as a writer being able to just kind of like write off all of these inconsistencies and incoherencies with like oh well your character's <laughs> yeah. losing his mind it's like oh that is such a gift i would abuse that so have. much i mean this this is the developer that is best known for like <laughs> cycling management simulators um and that's not to like do a disservice to you know like the talent because obviously they know what they're doing in that area but i just feel like 
it's not a studio that has any experience with this sort of property and it really shows it sounds awful so let's move on to some more positive games <laughs> shall we yes Rebecca, you've got more than one choice as well, don't I you? I do. I played almost no AAA games this year, but I played two absolutely fantastic indie games that I fell in love with and made my year. And they were? Uh, the first one is Minute. Um, Minute is this little tiny top-down adventure game. Think visu visually like from the top down, like in the style of 2D Legend of Zelda games um, like that. Um, it is by uh, a group of developers, Kitty Callis, uh, I'm going to pronounce the names wrong, I'm so sorry, um, Jean Willem, Nijman, um, Jukio Kallio, and Dominic Johan. Um, they put together this little game um, that is played 60 seconds at a time. Uh, your little character picks up a cursed sword on the beach, and this cursed sword uh, curses him to die after 60 seconds and your goal is to lift the curse from the sword and stop you know the trouble that is going on in this area that you're in it's a very short game it's only a few hours long um, but the key is you have 60 seconds to do anything that you need to do in this world and then you die and you reset back to kind of your home base or your house that you're in but certain things carry over so in your first run through you might uh, you might acquire an item that you get to keep and then after you die that item allows you to unlock another thing that you could get through the first time and so you just are constantly thinking in these little 60 second loops and the reason I love Minute so much is it's very compact it's very smartly designed there is nothing in this game that is excessive there is nothing in this game that is unnecessary to the puzzles and just the core like 60 second loop every it's very simple visually it's in like one bit black and white super basic style and there's nothing around you that is distracting you from the tasks that you have to complete and it's a little bit hard to describe like what that is like in practice but essentially it just feels so smooth and tight and the, like the game the gameplay itself just that core loop of constantly you know finding a thing doing it and then thinking okay i've done this one thing now i'm dead what's the next thing that i need to do now that i've acquired you know one item or another it it just it's so quick and smart and it keeps your brain moving at this really nice steady clip the whole time that feels really good and fun it's also funny it's cute like the dialogue from the characters is all has to be very short and compact to fit into the amount of time that you have running across the screen that they're on so you can read it as you're moving um, it has fantastic music by Jukio Kalia really chill but still kind of a little bit energetic that keeps you you know kind of bopping along as you're moving and it's just it, it's so fantastic I love this goofy short 
insanely simple little game, especially, you know, compared to, you know, we've had all these crazy big budget AAA titles this year, and I'm looking at this one-bit game with a character that looks like he has a duck bill on his face, and it just got, it just got my heart. It sounds brilliant. Uh, it sounds familiar. Uh, to, it sounds similar to one I played a while back. Do you remember Half Minute Hero? I've heard of Half Minute Hero. It's kind of a similar concept in that you only have thirty seconds before the world ends, and you. But you have to. It rather than you die and then you have to start from a certain point. You could rewind to a certain point, and there were shortcuts you could unlock. And it was just, yeah, you're right. It just brings that kind of really tight, focused design. The you know gets away with all the uh, 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 gets rid of all the bloat and stuff, which which honestly, AAA games are becoming so bloated now in terms of how much there is to do, how much you need to do, whether it's optional or not. Just the sheer amount of content and systems and stuff in each AAA game. Yeah, it sounds amazing just to have one that's really kind of you know much more laser focused. Right, and I think that comes through in a lot of ways too, just in terms of how well designed it is for seeing something and immediately understanding what to do with it. Uh, the first item you get in the game is a watering can and you use it to water things and that's it. So anything that looks like it might benefit from having water on it, you use it and that it works. Uh, but there's the game is so simple that there really isn't anything in the game that you look at and think, I wonder if I need to water this. I'm, I'm not sure. And you have to like waste time going back, getting the watering can and then using it. And then, oh, it didn't work. Like, there's none of that. Everything is just immediately evident and apparent and obvious. But it also does require a little bit of kind of mental mapping of this world to figure out, oh, now I have the watering can. What are some things I've seen that I can do with it? Um, and there's also, it, it's not a huge bloated game, but there are some little secrets that you can find that aren't necessary to finishing the game. And it's, it's fun to come back and play that. There's also, um, there's a new game plus mode where wow. it cuts the that time down like, to 45 that, that like seconds. And that one's speed crazy. Runners. It is. They did, they added a speed run mode. Of, I think it was a few, it was like a month ago. Uh, they added a special speed run mode. I haven't actually played it. I don't know what it does. Apparently it broke the game. I have no idea. But it's cool that they were thinking about that in this incredibly short, fast-paced game. Nice. That sounds like a good choice. So what was the other game that, that stole your heart this year? The other game was Celeste. And I know, I think Celeste was a lot of people's favorites this year. Uh, it's a it's a really beautiful and tight platforming game about a woman named Madeline who is trying to escape from some nonsense in her life and decides she wants to climb Celeste Mountain. Uh, she shows up and she she deals with anxiety and insecurities and she kind of feels like she maybe can't do this but she decides she needs to so she starts climbing this mountain and as she starts to climb it she discovers that the insecurities and the anxieties she deals with have started to manifest into this other kind of dark version of herself that tries to sabotage her climb up the mountain. And as she goes through the different stages of climbing it, she has to kind of reckon with these parts of herself and you come to terms with them and use them to ultimately finish the climb. It's a fantastic platformer. Uh, you... I mean, it is what it is. You you jump and, you know, there's different mechanics at each level that are really interesting. You know, sometimes you end up kind of shooting through these cool colored platforms. Uh, there's there's really good physics in terms of how different things move and how you need to use your momentum. Uh, you eventually get a double jump. Um, and then I think you get, yeah, you get a triple jump in by the end. 
Um, but what, what's really nice about it is that each screen that you're on is self-contained and it's very challenging. So you'll finish a screen and it's very difficult, but then once you've done it, you don't have to do it again. Um, you just move on to the next one and it's very forgiving. Um, there's a, it keeps track of your death count and there's a little tip screen at one point that says, be proud of your death count. It shows how far you've come or something like that. And it's extremely encouraging. And the reason why I, I, Celeste has great design. It's a really fun game to play. The reason why I loved it so much came down to the end, the final, the final stage of Madeline's climb up the mountain. Um, I don't, I don't want to get too into the details of the story, but it very well captured the feeling of overcoming overcoming anxiety and overcoming that challenge in gameplay. Um, there's sections where the wind is just blowing really hard at you and you, you have to like, you know, move against it. And there's sections, the, the final section of the mountain has all these little uh, markers up, uh, number markers showing you how far you have left to go. And every time you hit one, it gives a little cheer sound and it kind of saves, it snapshots where you're at. So if you fall, you just go back to that marker. And it, it was so exhilarating, that final climb, that that feeling that I could, I could almost see the top. There's a moment where you look through these binoculars and you can look up and up and up and you can see the red flag at the top and you know you're so close and the music is beautiful. Um, and it's just, it, it, it just made me so excited and exhilarated and proud of myself when I did it. Um, I'm not usually a person who plays difficult platformers, but it, it really captured this joyousness and this contentment at kind of overcoming something just incredibly difficult and incredibly internalized. And it that game made me really, really happy. So how difficult are we talking? Because I have to be honest, that is the only thing that put me off Celeste because I loved the sound of it. I loved the sound of the story. And I've heard so many good things about it. But I keep on hearing, you know, super tight, difficult platform, needs a lot of skill, and I don't have that skill all the time to develop it. So I, I have heard there's like a really good kind of accessibility mode. But... Yes. I, 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 how is it? Yes, there is an accessibility mode. It, I, I didn't use it too much. It does effectively let you um, kind of turn certain things off, basically, like turn, I, and I'm, I'm talking off the top of my head here, so I'm sorry if this isn't quite accurate, but it, it lets you turn off like like fa like falling in certain ways, or it lets you maybe jump, I, I don't know, I, I, need, I need to see what it is, but it basically lets you turn off certain elements of the controls or certain elements of the punishment for falling so that if you just want to go through each little section and not be upset when you fall, it's fine. It doesn't, it doesn't frustrate you. Um, and then also the other thing is the, the basic just beating the game, I think there's seven stages. It's challenging, but it is doable. And the game is very forgiving too. Like I said, it, it, once you finish a screen, you're done with that screen. You don't have to go, like if you fall later, you don't have to go back and do that again. And if you decide that it's just too much and you want to quit and come back later, it puts you right back where you were. Um, the, the base game is fairly doable, even if it is challenging. There are a lot of extra rewards. There's these little hidden strawberries you could collect. There's extra stages after the main game that you can do. But if you just wanted to finish Celeste, I think, I think with accessibility mode on or off, I think it's a very doable challenge that will feel like you've overcome something without feeling like, oh God, this is so hard. That definitely sounds a lot more appealing to yeah. me. Yeah, you should, try, you should try it. It's it's really, really beautiful. I think the only thing that put it below minute for me was the fact that the metaphors were a little bit heavy handed at times. And there were some points in the middle of the game where I was kind of like, eh, you don't need to tell me what this is a metaphor for. I got it but it is really beautiful.
I've been playing a, a range of games this year through a mixture of lack of time and lack of money. I haven't been playing as many AAA games as I wanted to. I haven't done Spider-Man, I haven't done God of War, I haven't done Red Dead. I actually worked out the only 2018 AAA game I played was Far Cry 5. And much like you with the Banner Saga 3, Hayden, I was like, this is more of the same. It's good, but it, I, I have played this before. So I've been trying to push myself out of my comfort zone and playing different types of game. I've got a few honourable mentions I'd like to throw in, like Yoku's Island Express which is this pinball Metroidvania where you play a dung beetle. Excellent. It's amazing. Absolutely superb. Forgotten Anne, which is this really well-animated puzzle platformer that honestly is like playing a Studio Ghibli film, is brilliant. Um, Gora Goa is weird as hell, and I do not know what's happening, but it's brilliant. Um, it's not a 2018 game, but I played it for the first time. What Remains of Edith Finch would have definitely been my game, well, second game of the year yesterday, last year, Zelda was still brilliant, but What Remains of Edith Finch was incredible. But the one game that I've, I've come away from, like when we're building up to the end of the year and I'm like, right, what's been my favourite game of the year? It's been one I played quite early on. It's a game that I played you know, start to finish in less than an hour and I still can't think of another game that I, I preferred to it you know, throughout the year. Florence by Mountains down in, uh, down in New Zealand. Um Obviously, led by Ken Wong, the designer for Monument Valley, it's just phenomenal. It is, for those who do not know, if you don't know, you haven't played it. And if you haven't played it, go and play it. It is basically, (laughs) I'm going to butcher this, but it's a romantic WarioWare. (laughs) It's essentially a love story made up of a lot of very, very, very short mini games. Um, You're basically interacting with different scenes and... Those mechanics, those scenes, they're constantly changed up to show the stages of Florence's life, the stages of her relationship, and it's just beautiful. It's so well done. I, I, have you got? Have either of you guys played this? Because I, I, I don't, I don't almost don't want to kind of take all the words. So. Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, I've, I've played it. It's, uh, it's very good. Uh, I haven't played it, but I am actually... I've literally just bought it now, so... <laughs> good, good. Right, download it. Well, uh, uh, spoilers herein. There may be some spoilers, but... It, it, basically, everything it does is just so clever and just so different to what ga- video games tend to be. And it's very much dealing with everyday feelings and emotions and aspects of life that, that so rarely get covered in games. It's a game about falling in love. It's a game about falling in love, and it's... Like I say, like the, the opening act is about the drudgery of Florence's normal life, and this is, like I say, this is just explained in just short mini games. And within it's less than five minutes, you instantly get a sense of what her life is like, who she is as a person, what her dreams are, you know, just and her ambitions, and that's all before the, she even meets, you know, the love interest. And then just throughout, like, I, I honestly thought, like, maybe, maybe I've just picked this up in my head too much. Maybe I'm just viewing it through Roast into Spectacles. So I downloaded it yesterday, and I I played through again. And again, you can do it in about 40, 45 minutes, if you're not interrupted by toddlers. <laughs> and, um, and every time you get to a new game, it's like, ah, I see what they're doing there. At the risk of spoiling something for you, for you um, Hayden... The, the mechanic I love the most is there are sections where they have conversations, where Florence and her and, and Chris are having a conversation. And like the, the first date section is where they're first talking. They're first getting to know each other. And to begin with, each speech bubble you, you move into, into position is split into so many different pieces because 
they're trying to work you're learning how to talk to each other and as the conversation flows and as you get to know the person better those speech bubbles the puzzle pieces become larger they fit together more smoothly and then it eventually becomes just one whole solid speech bubble and as an analogy for as a video game analogy for learning to get to know someone to for learning how to speak to them it's just brilliant and then how that mechanic comes back is you know they revisit that a couple of times and it's it it's one you don't want to talk about for fear of spoiling it for people like Hayden, but it's it's just such a phenomenal game and it's, I, I I came away from it. It's like I enjoyed. There was more there in forty minutes that impressed me that hasn't been done before than I've seen in games that I've played for forty hours. Yeah, it's it's a really uh, smart, efficient way to tell a story through a game, and it's it's so completely. The interesting thing to me about it is that it's a mobile game. It's a mobile premium game, and it's the kind of game that's not like I'm going to play it for five minutes while I'm in line at the, you know, the supermarket or whatever. It's it's like yeah, you you kind of want to sit down and and devote an hour to this, and and really take it and absorb it in one one sitting like that. And there's not really a good venue in this industry for that i think like pc consoles like i i can't really picture florence being sold primarily there either so it's it's just this really interesting choice of the way to tell the story the the medium to tell the story in um and and it it manages to like make it all work despite kind of it not being a good fit for the market of video games as it exists today. Yeah. I think the only other platform I could see it working on is Switch, purely for the, the touchscreen. I think the, yeah. the touch mechanics... Like, if it was on PC, you're you're you know, moving your mouse and you're clicking on things, and there is that detachment, whereas if you are physically touching it and interacting with the game in that way then you do feel that connect that connection with the characters and what's and and, and the connection to the story you know I was, I was looking through it and it's like could this work just as well if it was a, a short animated film like yeah like a pixar short or something like and no i believe that 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 interactivity that actual taking part in florence's life really does draw you into the story in a way that something passive wouldn't and so yeah, it possibly work on Switch, but even then, like mobile is by far the best, the best platform for it because even yeah, some of, some of the sections obviously mimic um, a mobile phone and mimic you know how a mobile phone works. So there's just that instant connection that just removes all barriers to your immersion in something that is a hand drawn sketch. You become fully immersed in this this story, um, and I found like yeah, I mean I I by the nature of life could not sit down and play this through in one solid hit. I just couldn't. But I found that when I was playing it, I was well, as soon as I had a free minute, I was like, right, phone out, I want to keep playing Florence. And then when I was playing it, I was I was I, I was divided between like I was I was trying not to rush through each minigame, but they are only a few seconds long. You're trying not to rush through because you, you worry that you're you're missing something or you worry that you're you're doing it disservice by blitzing through the story, but equally you're just eager to find out what happens next. Yeah, it's it's an excellent game. I would recommend everyone give it a shot. Oh, I'm very excited at the prospect of a mobile game that isn't in the typical mold of, you know, your hyper casual free to play or your like in app purchase strategy clash of clans thing. 
So I have been sort of when Florence released earlier this year and everyone was talking about it very excitedly. I was like, uh, can mobile games be good? Um, and it turns out they can. So um, I think you've pestered me before to play play Florence, actually, Batch. So I am looking forward to uh, actually finally giving it a go. Good. Well, you know what? Your excuses are out. It's downloading now. If we wrap this up, you can start playing it immediately. Understand? <laughs> that's a, that's, a, that's yes. an order. That's an order. <laughs> Chris, I can take a wild guess <laughs> at what game you've chosen for this year. Wearing it, wearing it, you're wearing it. Of yes. course you are. Of course Look you're wearing it. Why does that even exist? <laughs> <laughs> I'm wearing a Sea of Thieves Christmas jumper. Of course um, you are. Because is that family. official merch? Yeah. Is that, yeah, right. yeah. No, he printed that himself. <laughs> well, no, but like, you, get, you get these weird you know, companies that just kind of do bespoke designs but rare have like, like rare release like new Sea of Thieves t-shirts every other week right, I'm yeah. pretty much buying all of them of course um, you are <laughs> so why Sea of Thieves other than what it's doing for your wardrobe why <laughs> Sea of Thieves uh, Sea of Thieves um, I was trying to objectively try and find out if there's an objective way of me arguing it a bit being game of the year and I don't think there is um, it, I mean it's an open world online social competitive and cooperative multiplayer game um but um, it, I, lots of people fight, struggle with it a little bit because it's a game where you don't get better. So if you play the game, you don't get a better gun, you don't get a better sword, you don't get better ships. And that never happens. You, you might get prettier ones, but you don't. Or maybe prettier ones if you, that's your view of it. But you don't get. You can play this game for one hour a month, and you'll still be as good as every other. Well, in theory, that you win, James. You no, know, rubbish. But and as somebody that, that thinks loves the idea of sort of Destiny 2 but hasn't the time for Destiny 2 this this really was fantastic for me but it's also it's utterly bonkers <laughs> um, I, I mean if you it's 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 the epitome I say of silly nonsense which is what video games are and uh, if you I mean if you scour the web you'll find tons of CFE stories and I've had like loads I've had the ones epic battles of skeleton ships I had one where we ran out of cannonballs so what we did is um, we would deliberately crash into the skeleton ship. Two of us would jump on their ship, steal their cannonballs, swing back onto our ship, and then fire and then fire <laughs> cannonballs back at them. Um, there was one where I and I've gone on about this a hundred times where I once talked down an entire skeleton fort by myself. Um, there was the time we outran a galleon by taking it into a storm. Um, there's these little moments of that, but actually my favourite moment at Sea of Thieves. Um, I actually wrote this down so I remember it. Um, and whenever we finish a game of CFEs, we, we, get, we get our treasure, we take, the tr we take the ship back to the outpost, we put the treasure in, and we do this every time, we scuttle the ship so the ship starts to sink, and we play this really sad song on the pirate instruments as the ship sinks. We all do it, and then as soon as the song finishes and the ship's gone, we turn the game off, and that's how, we, that's how it's like, like, like the credits at the end of every game. <laughs> and one time we did this, and my brother, who I play with, he just turned around and went, oh no, I forgot my phone, and he runs, he runs off the jetty and he jumps into the sea. And it, I couldn't stop giggling. I couldn't stop giggling. And I was going through a really hard time, personally, at that point, and it was probably the most I'd ever laughed in months and months and months and months. Because um, that's what Sea of Thieves is. It's a silly, pointless game where you piss around and pretend to be a pirate. <laughs> and, and I absolutely love it. Um, and uh, And... The thing is, there's also a bit of a, a bit of a comeback story here because um, uh, I've been pre I'm preconditioned to like this game because I'm a big fan of Rare and I have been. Um, but uh, what four years ago, Rare wasn't in, Rare wasn't in a, the happiest of spots. There had been maligned, I think a little unfairly, for their focus on Connect. 
Um, but uh, fan sites were closing. Uh, the Eurogamer article was who killed Rare. Mm -hmm. um, there was the um, uh, a group of former staff left the studio and set up a rival competitor. Um, uh, there were, it was people were dissatisfied whether it's fairly or not. And um, and then Xbox killed Connect, and then the studio kind of had to work out what it was going to do next. And if I was them, and if I and I'm because I'm clearly not as adventurous as they are, I would have gone, let's do another Banjo-Kazooie, and let's do another Perfect Dial, let's reconnect with a fan, let's make one game based on our hit franchises, and let's do that. And they sort of did that with Rare Replay, I guess, but um, really their first game was, oh, I've got an idea, let's make an open world social game based around piracy, which is nothing like anything that's ever made before. It's gonna take us four years to make, cost millions upon millions upon millions to build, um, and um, and let's, let's roll the dice. And that's actually what, there's no, no, no guarantee the fans would even want this, let alone like it. Um, but that's one of what Rare do. They've been famous for it for 30 years. Um, they make accessible games. They're old-fashioned. They're also quite modern. They look amazing. They sound amazing. Um, and, and, you know, you can go back. Viva Piñata on the Xbox 360, <laughs> which, is, which I, I met with Rare, and I talked to him about that. And he said, yeah, it was a little bit of a two fingers up at all the brown shooters that are on Xbox 360. Yeah, yeah but everyone who owned the Xbox 360 only wanted brown shooters. You made a colourful... <laughs> Party animal game grabbed by the Ghoulies, even Goldeneye, which nowadays looks like a safe bet. Console shooter, which nobody made at the time and nobody thought was successful, based on a license that was a year old when it came out. Mm -hmm. um, and um, they just do that, and um, and as a result, um, I hope the team, I hope the team at Rare are quite proud of this game because it feels like a rare game. It's completely different, but also somehow feels like it's perfectly belonging in that history of theirs. Um, it's very special, and it's at, by far the favorite, my favorite game I've played this year. So um, I, th I think there, there's also. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm wrong on this because I don't don't always have confidence that I'm, I'm 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 good at judging games in this way. But it struck me that like Sea of Thieves for me was the first signal that Microsoft had started thinking a little bit differently about how it treats its first party games as well. Because that was that was the one where you know because it was out on Game Pass and, mm, and they seem yeah. to be taking the emphasis away from actually selling copies of this game and, and more, and more just getting people playing it yeah. and that was the first game I've, uh, that was the first game that came out of Xbox where I thought that, that was that's kind of more what they're, they're going to be mm. doing from now on and then that followed with all of these acquisitions that came up and that and, it, and we've since had Xbox say to us that they're, they're putting a lot of emphasis now on just getting content onto Game yeah. Pass the reasons yeah. for people to go there and see if these seem to be like the the most compelling reason to do that. I think CFEs really benefited from it. I think to begin with, there was natural wariness because the game was a bit of a seven out of 10 when it came out. In my mind, I'm a rare fan when it came out um, because there wasn't that much to do in it, really. It, was, it looked amazing and it was fun for a bit and then you think, oh, I'm a bit bored now. Um, and the idea was Game Pass, you know, you get that two weeks for free or dollar now you can get for a month. And um, you can play that game and you can get the end of it, so oh, I've seen it all now, which you would have done after two weeks at the beginning of that game and you want to put your controller down. And I think, if I was rare, I'd have been worried about that. But then, but then, of course, what's happened is every single time Xbox does something new around Game Pass, they get a load of new users in, which is a load of new people playing Sea of Thieves. And also, I think Sea of Thieves benefits from it because there's no monetization model in this game. There's nobody saying, hey, buy these loot boxes or buy these. They might introduce some microtransactions down the years, but they don't need to because Xbox monetizes it through Game Pass. They've done four updates this game, major updates. They've done way more than four, but four massive updates of this game this year. That fundamentally changed it every single time. The game needs desperately needs re-reviewing by everybody. Yeah, <laughs> we were discussing this just yeah. this morning. Like we'd like to see some sites reappraise it because yeah. it's on Metacritic with an average of like 69, 71, something mm. like that. But the way people talk about it now, 
and when you see user reviews on the the, the platforms that support those, the, the the change in tone from beginning to now is mm-hmm. is and almost complete. The community is so good. Yeah. Uh, we did you, you you were there, so we did this talk. Um, Charlotte mm-hmm. was there. We did this talk at uh, uh, EGX. Ray, uh, it was EGX. Yeah. And um, I just went, oh, let's get rare rare live near where EGX was this year, and um, we're like, oh, let's get him down. Let's stick him on a panel. And we sold out the room and we had to turn people away. We had like people in high-vis jackets having to come and look at the queue because it was just like this absolute just... People turned up with like made chests, yeah, haven't they? just yeah. pirates everywhere. Yeah. And it was the most endearing thing I've ever seen at a gaming event, really. There were like kids. Like, These families sitting like, on the front yeah, row. It like, was like dad, mum, dad and yeah, kids. Like actual like, you know, one of those kids that asked a question. And you know, they asked, they were asking questions and Rare were absolutely fantastic. You know, they stayed like over an hour after this talk just because their community were just... They were just so engaged in talking to them, answering questions, and there was this. Um, there was a little girl that answered, that was asking them a question. She must have only been what seven? Yeah, six, yeah. too seven? young for the game. Actually. Yeah, yeah. But you know, <laughs> it's, the, yeah. it's a testament though to how you know Rare are taking care of their fans because they were there with their parents. Their parents, they were all wearing the t-shirts, weren't they? Yeah, and the, the thing is. From a from perspective of a Rare fan, James will remember this, Rare were like the most secretive, don't talk to anybody, don't yeah. talk to consumers studio. They were in a farmyard in the middle of nowhere. They never told anybody anything. And now they're this studio that opens its doors and just goes to every event. And it's mm. quite it's quite different in the way they behave as a studio. Yeah, we um, reported on the, uh, the highest trending games on Google in 2018. I mean, this is just the US, but I mean, I think, you know, the US is such a big market that it's a fairly significant reflection of of what's been popular in gaming and Sea of Thieves was one of the top was in I think maybe the sixth most you know the sixth highest trending game on Google in the whole of 2018 so that's above Call of Duty that's above Assassin's Creed that's above Battlefield and it just shows I mean they've and um, I was saying to Chris this morning whereas a game like Fallout 76 which was you know three places above it in third you expect that probably comes from maybe like one or two spikes there was Bag gates or whatever the hell that was. <laughs> uh, there was the, the fact that it wasn't very good, you yeah. know, and, and you can see that. But I feel with Sea of Thieves, that's probably a very even spread of conversation throughout the year. Yeah. That Rare's really, you know, aided by having this kind of very very full program of updates, constantly making the game better, and actually just keeping it keeping it in the conversation. And then I think when it launched. I mean, Microsoft's got the money to support a game that doesn't fly out the game, but I think you're right. Like, they probably did have reasons to be worried. Yeah. It, but yeah, it's even before right launch, like, I was quite excited for CFB. Like from from when they announced it, like I loved the look of it. And you kept on telling me great things. So you got to play it E3 a couple of times. Yeah. And then we, we went to Rare. We went to Rare it, yeah. and we played it with with the guys at Rare, which was honestly one of the most fun multiplayer sessions I've ever had. But then when the beta came out, you and I played the beta a lot, and we got our ship stuck. We got our ship stuck, <laughs> we got our ship stuck a lot. We just we, we there were there was much much failure across the board. But and but I and I was having fun. But I came through, and then I recognised it was a beta, and therefore it wasn't finished. Half the stuff wasn't there. Things like the forts were empty. Yeah. But, I mean, we, we spent about half an hour climbing a fort only to find there was nothing there. They are only but, there when the skull appears and the yeah. sky is like that normally. Yeah. But. But I got to the end. It's like actually, here we are, like a few days before launch, and I'm actually not that fussed. Like I, I mean, I, I would enjoy this, but I don't really feel the need to play it. But since it's come out, I've just heard so many good things about each update and how much the game has transformed. What's right. interesting is how they've transformed it, and this is this is this is the story they've told as well. Is that they had this idea of what they were going to put in the game after the first 
of the first year, but something happened when they launched the game that they weren't expecting, because they put it in the beta, and you're right, you and I played the beta, and we're Rare fans, and Rare fans are, and they're mostly Nintendo fans really, they're quite friendly players. And they just, they sort of, some of them shot each other, but most of the time they worked together, and it was a little bit of a, that's what Rare fans are like. When they opened it up to the millions of Xbox users, it was carnage. And it was, <laughs> everyone just shot the hell out of each other. And, and Rare were like, oh, this isn't what the game's meant to be. Sure, you're supposed to have that threat that they could steal your treasure, but they shouldn't always steal your treasure. Um, so they, um, they, introduced things, they introduced things like the Alliance system. They introduced missions where you had to team up with other ships. They introduced um, the Alliance system where you put a flag up and then you become part of their alliance. You can still attack them. But the truth is now that you, you share treasure as a result of that, as if you're part of an alliance. And there's other things where... Um, they did things where you had to get on, sit on thrones, where, but those were you had to do it with another crew from a different ship. And um, there was another person from a different ship. And then they did things like um, uh, one, of, one of the, uh, yeah, they basically a load of missions. They introduced skeleton ships. They were never planning to introduce AI ships in the game, but they added them in because they wanted people to team up to bring down big mm. opponent enemies. Oh. And... Um, the game got really friendly then, a little bit too friendly. So they started introducing a little bit more combat elements in the game. And they've been doing that all year, just moving that line back. Oh, it's a bit too friendly. Everyone's playing nice. Well, we do need a bit of threat in the game. And, then, and they just edge this back and forth just to keep people... You know, when I see another ship in the game in Sea of Thieves, I don't immediately think they're going to shoot me. Whereas when I started playing that game, I thought, run away! Um, <laughs> but, um, so it's, um, yeah, it's a wonderful... I will say this, though. A lot of people say, you know, it's not a great single-player experience. Um, I know... Um, they make a big deal about that. Some people, I know some people in the Eurogamer team actually like playing single player. I get so bored. It is so much fun with people. And mm. it needs to be, and ideally people you actually know. Um, I play with my brother and my friends and, and uh, the, sort of the families that play together at that event. Um, but um, it isn't necessarily good if you're playing, on, I don't think, on your own. Full galley and four person crew. That's, that's, that's the, way that's the experience. <laughs> okay, well, so God of War single player game of the year. <laughs> 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 okay. Job done. That is all we've got time for, and that is our last podcast of the year. You can find all our previous episodes over at the site and on any podcasting platform of your choice. In the meantime, you can find all of your daily news, insights, and analysis into the world behind video games over at gamesindustry.biz.